so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. Many pastors are afraid to speak to cultural issues, which is a detriment to the flock they're shepherding. More importantly, there's a lack of discipleship that trains Christians to think biblically about the issues of our neighborhoods. A panel of pastors, including Jimmy Scroggins, David Prince, Robbie Gallaty, and Brian Loritz, gave helpful advice about these topics at the ERLC National Conference. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Welcome to our panel this evening. I'm Dan Darling, Vice President of Communications at the ERLC, and I'm joined by my, my panel here, Jimmy Scroggins, who's lead pastor at Family Church in, in South Florida, uh, Brian Loritz, who's the lead pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Silicon Valley, California, Robbie Gallaty, who's the senior pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church here in the Nashville area, and David Prince, who is uh, senior pastor at Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, Brian, I want to start with you. You mentioned in your talk earlier that you spoke about a gospel that doesn't speak to injustice by not speaking to cultural issues. Do you feel that many churches, by being afraid of speaking on cultural issues, have sort of ceded authority in many ways to other voices in the culture and have not helped shape the consciences of their, of their people? Absolutely. So I, I, think, um, I think many of our preachers and pastors lack prophetic courage. I don't want to be careful in pastoral ministry, uh, which I prefer pastoral preaching more than kind of itinerant preaching, because you get to a point where you're writing sermons and you can see faces. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Not that you're trying to pick on people, but you're with sheep, you're with people who don't get it, and so you want to walk with them. So I'm not espousing an ethic where you beat people up. But I do think that if the gospel we preach does not have what my grandmama used to call shoe leather, and it is not portable, and we can't take the timeless truths of what happened in Jerusalem and connect it to a Baton Rouge, or connect it to a Dallas, or connect it to whatever our context may be, then what's going to happen is we're going to look at people who are going to be discipled more by CNN and Fox News than by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's mm-hmm. a good word. Robbie, you've uh, written uh, many good discipleship resources and and systems that can help church build a, a discipleship culture. Uh, I think when people think of discipleship, they might think of piety, spiritual disciplines, and evangelism. Um, they may not think of being discipled on how to uh, engage the culture, how to think through issues. And so uh, how is cultural engagement uh, part of discipleship? Yeah, I think um, as we think about engaging the culture publicly, I think, or or even transforming the culture publicly, we have to personally be transformed privately by the gospel. And so I think before you can publicly 
engage the culture, we need to first be walking with Christ, and we need to be disciples. So we're quick to tell people they need to make disciples, but we overlook the fact that they may not be disciples to begin with. Uh, you know, Billy Graham said the greatest mission field is the local church. Uh, and so often we want to challenge our people to engage the culture, but they're drawing from an empty well. Uh, so uh, just, to, just to pick up your point earlier, just about uh, in, engaging the culture and, and, and really living in such a way where it's practical. I think the problem today is the gospel we're preaching. Uh, and I'm not talking about the, the, the actual tenets of the gospel. Uh, we're challenging people to make disciples midstream when we actually have to go back upstream. Here's what I mean by that. We're telling people, Jesus said, make disciples. Go out and make disciples of all nations. Our people say amen to that. But, but that's all they hear. Because the midstream gospel is, give your life to Jesus Christ. You'll be saved from your sins and you have a place in heaven and you have fire security from hell. And we never expect them to do anything with that salvation. So, so what happens is they're doing exactly what, what we're asking them to do, and that is to say a prayer. You never told me to do something with this faith. You never told me to reproduce my faith. It's kind of like buying a car. Uh, people go to the car dealership and they say, hey, I want this new car, and I don't want power locks, and I don't want serious radio, and I don't want a moonroof, but I want a V8 engine, and, and I want electric seats. Well, that's what we do with the gospel. We say, I want this Jesus uh, saving me from hell. I want this place in heaven. I don't want this obedience thing. I definitely don't want this discipleship. Uh, so I think before we can get our people to engage the culture, we need to focus on the, dis- the undiscipled, the vast amount of undiscipled disciples that occupy the pews of our churches uh, on a weekly basis. And then we start there, and I think we go out from there. Jimmy, I want to ask you this question. Uh, as you're a pastor and you're, you're thinking about how you're preaching and some of these issues that are sort of swirling in the culture and even maybe more important in your local context, how often are you thinking of having to address these things and, and what should pastors be thinking uh, about in terms of the frequency that they address certain issues? Well, our, our church is multi-generational and multicultural, so the, the honest truth is I'm thinking about this stuff every day. So every single sermon that I you can't preach a sermon without thinking about how the text of scripture is going to apply to your actual people like brian said you're picturing faces and so for instance when you have uh, racial issues going on in our country well i have a lot of black people that attend my church so i it's easy for me to picture a black mom or a black dad who's in my church who's my friend who's been in my home or i've been in their home and to say how are they feeling tonight maybe call them and find out how they're feeling and how are they thinking about it when they put their teenager in a car to drive away? And what does this feel like to them? So, honestly, I don't see how you could possibly be pastoring in today's environment without thinking about that every single time. And part of the confidence that we have in doing that is we have the Word of God that tells us God's design for every aspect of life. And if we would teach our people to align their lives with God's design in these various aspects that come up in the text and in the culture and put those together, then we're making good disciples. Because the the fear to me is that I've got moms and dads sitting there that are new Christians. They're not Christians. They may have been Christians for a long time without a lot of, maybe they haven't soaked up a lot of good teaching for whatever reason. Well, somebody's got to teach that dad how to talk to his son about what marriage is supposed to look like according to God's design. And the only way I know to do that is the air war from the pulpit. 
and the ground war, small groups and other venues where we have opportunity to go deeper. So mm. I don't see how you could not be thinking about this stuff every day, every night, every moment you're prepping, and every moment that you're teaching the Bible. Mm. D- David, you both pastor a church, uh, Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Kentucky, but you also teach preaching uh, uh, to, to young seminarians. And so uh, as, you're, as you're thinking about this, what kind of framework uh, should pastors be thinking through as they're, as they're trying to evaluate, how do I address this issue? When should I do this? Yeah, I really think in, in many ways we kind of overcomplicate it. Hmm. Uh, and we also act as though we are the first generation facing these radical changes and cultural issues uh, because we sort of act like Christianity began when we were born, and it didn't. <laughs> uh, it's as simple as this. The church doesn't simply engage in politics, the existence of the church is a political statement. The church is the people who say Jesus is Lord. If you say Jesus is Lord, that means you're unwilling to say that Caesar is Lord. That is a political assertion. And calling a group of people to walk in line with the gospel under the lordship of Christ bumps into all kinds of things. But but the truth is that Every culture has aspects of it that are helpful for the gospel, and it has aspects of it that are out of line with the gospel. That's what's so wrong with romanticizing uh, per- certain eras and, and certain periods of time. You know, you got a lot of white pastors who romanticize the 50s and 60s. You don't romanticize the 50s and 60s, do you? <laughs> right? and, and you have others who romanticize today. Uh, But the truth is, every culture is out of line with the gospel in all kinds of ways. And there are things to leverage in that culture for the sake of the gospel. But it's all rooted in the reality that we are the people who say, Jesus is Lord. And since we say Jesus is Lord, uh, disengagement politically is not an option. First of all, because we love our neighbor. But there's one framework that we've got to get in place. And that is that Christians have to stop talking about the cultural changes and be upset because we sound like we feel sorry for ourselves. We are the church. At the end of the day, we are not losing anything that matters for eternity. The reason we ought to care about the cultural issues is we have neighbors. And we know that uh, codified sin and uh, uh, all those sorts of things are not good for our community. We care about the people around us. So there is ground that we have to stake out, and we model that in the pulpit between the rebellion of political disengagement and the rebellion of political prostitution. That is a political engagement that makes itself subservient to one party or one group of people and modifies the Christian message so they fall in line with the political party. Well, that is political prostitution. We've got to be the people who say Jesus is Lord. And that means a prophetic witness in all directions, on all issues, because we love our neighbor. There's a world of difference between standing for truth because we love our neighbor and standing for truth because we despise our neighbor. We've got to get that right. That's a, good, that's a really good word. I want to ask all of you how important local context is. And so... David and Robbie, you're pastoring in areas that might have a higher percentage of evangelicals, the so-called Bible Belt. Brian and Jimmy are in more 
you know, less Bible Belt areas, more secularized areas, or however you want to describe that. Uh, how important is local context? And maybe each of you could kind of weigh in on your local context and some of the ways that you contextualize your, your uh, cultural engagement. I mean, what's more important, I mean, when it comes to preaching and leading a church, it's all about context, right? Putting, applying the gospel to a people in a place. That's, that's what we do in, in local church ministry. So, you know, at our church, we have people from all over the political spectrum. So you can't just walk in there and start throwing red meat to the Fox News Republicans, because if you do that, <laughs> half your church is going to get up and be gone. And you also have a lot of people who are new to the faith, and they are, or they're thinking about becoming a Christian, or somebody brought them or whatever, a lot. And honestly, the, you, don't lead with your, you don't lead with your politics anyways. I mean, you lead with the gospel. And if we let the Lord Jesus change somebody's heart, then uh, they'll, they'll, the Holy Spirit will lead them and guide their conscience, and they'll get where God wants them to go eventually. And part of that is not even assuming that I even know where that is. Because usually when we say that, we think eventually they'll vote like me. <laughs> and that may not always be the case. And so I just think context um, and thinking about who the people are in your community. You know, one of the things we had to do at our church is, for a long time, our church was a downtown First Baptist, Baptisty, 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 Baptisty church in South Florida. So is it Baptisty? Very. <laughs> so Baptisty, let me tell you what that means. It means people would retire from all over the southeast, move to South Florida, go to the First Baptist Church so they could get away from what the community looks like and just for a few hours a week, a week remember what it used to be like when they were kids. And so what we've had to do is help our church become more like the community where we actually are, which honestly is a little uncomfortable for everybody. But... That's what the gospel does. The gospel is a little uncomfortable for everybody. Mm-hmm. Brian, you want to speak to that? Yeah, so in my context, which is really similar to yours, um, I, I would say the major difference, though, so it's a secular context. Uh, when I pastored in Memphis, to use Luke 15 as an example, I had to learn how to preach to the older brother. Mm-hmm. And so most of our baptism stories were grew up in church, you know, but it wasn't until I came here I really heard the gospel. In Silicon Valley, I'm preaching to the younger brother. Um, And in Silicon Valley, you're preaching to the best of the best, um, all kinds of letters behind their names. Uh, Median income in uh, our neighborhood is $96,000 a year. It's the average income. So you're you're preaching to a context of affluence. This Sunday, uh, I begin a verse-by-verse study on the book of 1 Peter. Because I think people in the Bay Area, one of the most desirable places in the world to live, need to be reminded, you're exiles. This is not home. So that's how I'm thinking. I'm thinking about these people, Hmm. right? And there's a sense of you move to the Bay, mama, I made it. And they (laughs) need to be reminded this isn't home. And so, but what that's forcing me to do in my preaching is... I haven't done the studies, but I've got a ton of MBAs, so on and so forth. So there is a sense I feel like I can set the cookies a little bit higher on the shelf. In fact, there's almost a sense of you don't have credibility if you can't speak to me cognitively. Now, you've got to be careful with that. Yeah. You've got to be careful with that. But that's the context, and so I want to be sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. David, do you want to talk about Yeah, I I would just say one thing that contextual awareness uh, ought to cause us to do is sort of the other side that we don't often think about. 
And that is that uh, contextual awareness allows us to have the precision that we preach and apply the gospel uh, confronting the sins that are actually in the room. Yeah. Right? In, in my context, um, you could get up and declare homosexuality is a sin and everybody is affirming you. Even the person in the room struggling with homosexuality, they know they're in a church where that issue, as far as what side of it is on, is already decided. But you have the responsibility to engage the issue at the level that the people you're dealing with struggle with. So I want to go beyond that and say the Apostle Paul says, but such were some of you. And if we can't say that, there's a gospel problem in this church. Uh, And the only way we're going to get there is if we're going out of our way to build relationships with people who struggle in those particular ways. Mm -hmm. So I ask my people, um, your next door neighbor, the godly, kindly Christian couple that was there moves out. The people who move in are a homosexual couple. What is your first thought? If your first thought is, we need to put our house on the market and find a new house, you've got an anti-gospel thought. You ought to gather the kids up and say, God has given us a great opportunity. (laughs) He's put people next to us that need to hear the gospel of Jesus. Let's start praying for them, loving them, and serving them. Right? That takes courage. It doesn't take courage to do amen preaching. And that is the stuff that you know will whip the crowd up that everybody already agrees about. And you just throw that in enough, the red meat in enough to, to get them going. But, but you've got to be able to, how do we bring the gospel to bear on the people who are actually in the room? And that takes a sense of gospel courage. Quick second. So, totally agree. But let's, I, I need to be reminded of the foolishness of the gospel as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a tension between, I want to contextualize, but Paul says to the Corinthians, you're used to these great orators. I specifically didn't do that in your context. The fastest growing church right now in San Francisco, Reality Church, Dave Lomas. You know what he's preaching on? Verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. Mm. In a secular culture, he's just going head on, Mm. taking on gross immorality. And I got to remind myself, the Bible works. Yes. Amen. 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 That's a great word. Robbie, you want to speak speak to that? Um, I would say I'm in a a little bit of a different culture. Pastor in Chattanooga for a number of years and now in Nashville. Very difficult. I think in our culture, we have to convince people who think they're saved that they're not saved and then share Christ with them again and, and really lead them back to the Lord again. Yeah. One of the ways I found for me personally as a pastor to, take, to stay connected to the context of our people is through discipleship. Because so, so many pastors, you know, we preach and teach the word. I love what you said, the air attack and the ground attack. Many pastors are doing only air attack. They're only preaching the word prophetically from, from the pulpit. And, and I think we are detached from our people. Want to have better sermon applications, sermon illustrations? Live with your people. As our seminary professors used to tell us, a shepherd must smell like sheep. And uh, it's hard to, not to smell like sheep if you're, if you're not hanging with the sheep. 
so I meet uh, weekly, uh, every week. I've got a discipleship group of four men right, in that, right now. And it's good, just as I know, you don't want to always choose men who look like you mm-hmm. or, or socioeconomic class as you or, or of the same background as you. You want to have a diverse group. But that's where I really get a heartbeat of the church, obviously outside of pastoring and counseling visitation. But being with people in a close environment where they're intentional and they're transparent and they're open and they're accountable. And so that's a, that's a good way for us to not be so isolated and insulated. That's a good word. I want to ask you, you gentlemen, how do you handle disagreement? Inevitably, when you're talking about cultural issues, there's going to be disagreement in, in the church. Uh, we're in a contentious election season. Uh, that can divide uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. There are issues uh, that divide brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you lead well in your church in both addressing these issues, but also uh, dealing with uh, disagreements among believers? A white woman in our church, multi-ethnic, is the head of Trump's campaign for Santa Clara County. <laughs> hmm. I, she sends me daily email updates what's happening with our brother. <laughs> Bless you. And um, she asks, the elder board I inherited is mostly African-American, and she asks that we would lay hands on her, anoint her with oil, for the work she is doing as the head of the Trump campaign. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I explained to her, we can't do that in the middle of service on a Sunday for multiple reasons. Um, But we do believe in the nobility of work. Mm. And so we will anoint you and we will bless you and we will commission you into this work. But the behind the scenes chat leading up to that is some of my African-American elders who have democratic sensibilities and proclivities. This was hard for them. It's very, very hard for them because what you don't understand is Ethnic diversity tends to breed theological diversity and political diversity. So this is the beautiful mess, as my friend Rick McKinley says. But it was just a beautiful moment of us laying hands on this woman and blessing her. We didn't pray for Trump, but (laughs) prayed for her and we blessed her even when people see it differently politically. Mm, That's a good word. That's a good word. So you made anointing great again, is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Want to speak to that? Yeah. (laughs) That's a good line, Dan. I've been saving that all day. (laughs) I would just say that uh, people can gain a sense of whether you're saying the things that you say out of your commitment to the Lordship of Christ, your understanding of what it means to walk in line with the gospel, and the difference between that and just simply magnifying your own personal preferences and uh, are choosing a side in a given issue. I I had somebody uh, come up to me one time and he said that, uh, he said, you know, in a lot of ways, I think you're crazy. Oh, okay. And he said, I, I think the way you parent your kids and some of the things you believe, he said, but it's fine with me because I think that you're doing it because you love Jesus. All right? I, I'm okay with that. And, and that's good. And in my congregation, I was telling uh, Brian uh, uh, 
backstage that one of the things we really reach out to international students in our community. Uh, and so we have all kinds of people from all over the world. Um, and we have a lot of Muslim students who come to our services. Come to our services because our folks serve them and help them and have them in their homes. And, uh, and, and so uh, my Chinese uh, students generally uh, don't like disparaging things to be said about government. And the, the, the Muslim students, well, the only way we can keep all of that going and keep people tethered to it is that even the people who we say things that trouble them and that they don't want to hear really believe that it is this Bible that we are saying we believe. And we don't just have a political agenda in terms of being political hacks for a given group. Or we don't just simply exalt our preferences. I I think there is a way to do that. Now, of course, you know, sometimes somebody's going to get sideways with you and um, you need to assume everybody has the best motives. But everybody doesn't always have the best motives, and you just got to lead through that. Um, but but I, I really think there's a way to do it to make the gospel central, to make Jesus central. Uh, and there's a way that it's easy to do it in a sloppy way that confuses all that. That's a good word. I want to give pastors and church leaders in the audience and watching online uh, just uh, some practical models of how to do this. Well, we've talked at the 30,000-foot level uh, but what are some practical ways you do this? Uh, you obviously want to address it as it comes, issues as they come up in the text, but are there other models and methods that y'all use to uh, engage your people on, on, on issues? Jimmy, I'll ask you. Yeah, I think, I think modeling is one of the most healthy ways mm-hmm. that we can show our people what the gospel looks like in the context of relationships, even when difficult issues are in the news or beating down the doors of our hearts. Eric Kelly is an African-American teaching pastor at our church. What I love about being a pastor is that pastors need pastors. I'm fortunate enough to go to a church where I have other men who are pastors to me, just as I'm a pastor to them. And Eric's one of the pastors in my life. He's a pastor to my wife. He's a pastor to my children. I'm the same to him and to his wife and to his children. Now, Eric and I don't see the world the same. Eric never met his dad, grew up in the hood. His wife never met her dad, grew up in the hood. They're building a family. But Eric loves Christ. He loves our people. He's committed. We share a vision for what God is going to do in our community. And we've just decided we're not going to see everything the same way. We're just going to, because of the gospel, love each other. And we're going to just be friends. And we're just, that's just the way that it is. So we might not always, we're just going to work through it. We're going to fight through it. We're going to argue through it. And we're going to stay friends. And we just kind of made a pact before the Lord. We're going to do this together. Well, we don't get up there and talk about that at church every time. But everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. They see it. They feel it. And it sends a message. And I think putting a human face, flesh and blood, and letting people see this worked out in the context of real relationships mm-hmm. is a powerful way that people can begin to breathe in the gospel. Ravi, I want to ask you, so what are some practical ways pastors can do this? Uh, preaching on, in the pulpit on Sunday and addressing these issues, but what are there some other ways that you've thought through in the churches that you've led and to equip people? I think, I think the model's Jesus. I mean, Jesus had the greatest message of the world. 
to, to save us from our sins, not just to save us from a physical disease or an illness, to save us from eternal damnation, to be filled with the Spirit of God. How's he going to get that message to the world? He invested in a few men. He leaves it. That's plan A for the church. So I think we, we I mean, as you said, that's the model. Um, and, and the key we got to remember is let, let's not get too quick to contextualize the message that we lose the message. Mm-hmm. The, right. the, the baseline, the bedrock of founda- the foundation of our faith is the Bible. We never graduate beyond the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you win people to Christ or try, let me say, if you attempt to win people to Christ with something other than the Bible, they will reproduce that. So, so the adage is what is introduced to them is what they will reproduce to others. And they'll start thinking they can win people to Christ with manipulative tactics, cool sermons, or funny illustrations. That's a great word. David, I'm going to uh, end with you. Are there practical ways uh, that pastors can do this? So you're preaching on a Sunday morning. You're preaching, uh, hopefully, verse-by-verse preaching. Uh, but also, are there forums? Are there special things that you can do to just, particularly if an issue is really sensitive and really important? Well, a uh, very practical thing that, that we do is we don't try to own all of the social engagement that we expect our people to be a part of. And we don't do it because as soon as we own a, 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 a particular way to do it, then we make that the way to do it. Mm. And rather, what we do is people are engaging on all kinds of different levels. And we try to celebrate that. Yeah. Sometimes we, we, have, we point it out or we have forums where we say, just tell us what your commitment to Jesus, how that's working out in the way you live in your neighborhood. You, know, you take the abortion issue, for example. Uh, we've got folks who go to the abortion clinic. They pray. They plead with people not to abort their babies. Uh, we say, praise God for those folks who do that. But that's not an official church ministry. We just say we're glad it's going on. I have other people that would never do that who are engaged politically uh, with legislators and trying to lobby them on the basis of those issues. And I've got other people who are engaged in uh, stepping into people's lives who have uh, 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 pregnancies that um, they're considering abortion. In in fact, I had a lady come to our church uh, just a few months ago, and I'm standing in our welcome area, and she said, Pastor, you don't know me, uh, but I know your church. And then she held up her baby and she said, this baby is alive because your church wow. loved me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Your church gave me money. Your church bought me things. Your church kept me from aborting my baby. Wow. And so I'm thankful for your church. Well, that wasn't a program we had. That was merely our people being our people. Mm-hmm. And so that works into my conversation about what we're doing. Because what I want to do is not cut people off on how to do it. I want to keep opening doors and say, think about how you can be involved socially. Uh, sounds biblical, actually. Equip the saints. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah, I feel really validated. Very, very biblical right there. Yeah. That's great. Let's well, make social ministry great again. Yeah. <laughs> so before, I'm going to ask uh, Brian to close us out in prayer for this evening. But before we do that, would you give our panel uh, a word of applause? Brian, would you close us out in prayer tonight? Yes, Father, for today, we do thank you, Lord God, for all that you've deposited in us, for the things that we've heard, for uh, these brothers that I sit with, for these people who are in the audience. We thank you. Lord God, we want to steward well what you've entrusted to us. Yes. And Lord Jesus, 
the Christianity that you spawned uh, does not know anything less than being engaged in the world in which you've planted us. So may we be people, Lord God, who are people who equip others to live this thing out in their specific context. And may we be known, Lord God, above all, by our love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. Visit us online at ERLC.com and tune in next week as we hear about God's design for sex.